welcome to the Delingpod with me, James Delingpod. And I really am excited about this, this week's special guest. And I know I always say this, um, but Jamie Blackett has got an interesting story to tell. He's got lots of hinterland, which I like. Um, I've met him. I met you on a grouse moor, apart from, um, among other, other places, didn't I, Jamie? You did, yeah. That's a terrible admission, isn't it? But yeah, we did meet there, didn't we? I thought it would be good to mention it to wind up all the people who disapprove of, of grouse moors. I, I just think grouse shooting is just one of the best things in the world, and I've only discovered it this year. Well, you're a true conservationist then, James. Yeah, bloody right. Absolutely bloody right. I mean, wh- what, I, what I learned in my, in my small amount of time on the moors is just how well managed these ecosystems are in a way that say if the rspb manages the land they're not because they're they're eco-fascists basically they're subject to all the kind of the wrong thing that that grips grips mm. enviro loons mm. and they and they don't do things like they won't they won't cull predators which you need to do to be able to have biodiversity yeah and it, uh, and um sadly we were supposed to meet there earlier in the year weren't we and the lockdown pre- prevented us but we were gonna watch a black cock lek together i think we were and um the i i've been on that more in in springtime and the extraordinary diversity of of bird life curlews and lapwings and golden plover and and all the really rare ground nesting birds that you never normally see anywhere else and uh grouse moors uh unfortunately if it's the whole class warfare thing um has really muddied the waters and, and and we need to get away from that and concentrate on all the all the good things that keepers do and if if you remember that day we were together we saw short-eared owls and snipe and uh, loads of black game i mean black black game uh, bl- black cocks and greyhounds uh that was are, the terrifying part my god if you the rule is <laughs> if you accidentally shoot a black cock, which, yeah. is, which is which is what it's a type of grouse, but it's a it's a black grouse and it's bigger. a black grouse, yeah, which are very very rare in this country, yeah. And it, yes, we, well, not that rare. I saw bloody loads. We, I was, uh, I, was, I, was I was bricking myself every drive because I know, they kept so flying over. And if you if you get if you shoot one, you get fined five hundred quid. You have to give five hundred pounds to the conservation charity, the Game Conservancy, um, and that really concentrates the mind, doesn't it? When these grouse are hurtling towards you at uh, 100 miles an hour, whatever they fly at. Yeah, um, you've got to think quickly. You know, is this shot worth five? I know. <laughs> Dare um, I take? Yeah, and and and, and I just—it um, really depresses me how um, the. Well, I think you're you're part of the part of the, the coining of the phrase watermelon, aren't you? I think the the the, the people who are green on the outside, um, but red. All the way through, red yeah, red on the inside. Well, yeah. I was gonna, uh, I was gonna just describe you. I, I actually met you first of all at another friend's house in Scotland, where you live. Uh, our, our friend Mark Miller, who I absolutely love, and I know you do as well. Um, yeah. And I didn't know much about you, other than that you you had a farm in um, what's this part of Scotland called? Galloway. Galloway, which is a mm. lovely part of the country. Mm. 
um, soft. It's softer than than the kind of the hill country, isn't mm. it? It's um, it's not like it's not like um, the Cairngorms or anything like that. It's lovely agricultural country on the Scottish Riviera. And you and your family has been farming this spot since 1850, was it? Yeah, yeah. Um, 1852, yeah. So yeah. you're 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 not some kind of ghastly. I, as I imagine that a lot of Scots would, would would view you now, because because Scotland is becoming increasingly xenophobic, I would say towards towards the English. Anglophobia is a big Anglophobia. issue, yeah. Mm. But they would, you've you're you're part of this landscape. Your family's been bound to this, and and when I first met you, I remember sensing a sort of. A sort of gentle melancholy about you, and, <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to say that, but I, I hope you don't you, you won't be offended. But I, having having dipped into your rather excellent book about your life here and about why why you know what what it means to you, I understand your position that you are a bit like um, farmers that I'd met who had farms in Kenya in the 1950s or maybe actually maybe a better analogy is people who who had farms in Rhodesia and Zimbabwe who who were living in paradise who had a fantastically prosperous happy existence amid amid the most beautiful nature and slowly their lives were taken away from them their their properties were taken away from them eventually confiscated by Mugabe and I think what's happening now in Scotland is really not dissimilar that Nicola Sturgeon is like our our homegrown Mugabe who is slowly expropriating land and ruining the lives of people like like you well uh it hasn't got that bad yet I mean uh, there are there are certainly people in the SNP and certainly in the Scottish Green Party who have got this radical land reform agenda? Um, I I think it's more in my experience, and I, and and, and uh, I've got a deep knowledge of Zimbabwe because my wife Sherry comes from there, and, and and as you know, they lost their farm there, uh, and I hope it it never comes to that in Scotland. But at the moment, what I'm seeing is I sort of um, relating very much to farmers I knew in Northern Ireland when I was serving there as a soldier. And uh, what we're seeing in Scotland is the um, the Ulsterization of Scotland. Uh, polarised communities, uh, slight sort of intimidation going on, uh, the protection, a projection of, of power they bus people down from the central belt down to Dumfries to march round the town with flags waving. And it sounds like Germany in the early 30s. It, 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 it really is, deliberately, I think. Um, the nas- nationalism, um, national socialism is, um, is pretty similar wherever it rears its head. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a power thing it's it's about grabbing power and it's about um making the population bend to your will and of course the the pandemic um has really allowed the state to interfere in people's lives in lots of ways and i know that you're you know you you have strong feelings about what's going on in england the difference 
<clears throat> is that I think um, Boris Johnson's government uh, is by nature um, for liberty and personal liberties, and that hence their slight dithering possibly over lockdowns and things. Um, the the SNP have really leapt at this chance to insert the state into places where it really shouldn't go. And um, they have tried to make people, they've had, they seem to have had a deliberate policy of people relying on the state rather than on family and friendships. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we've had really quite uh, scary examples of a, a narcissist regime where people have been encouraged to stand on their doorsteps and clap for Nicola. Uh, we've had really quite scary social media footage of children as young as six being filmed saying, thank you, Nicola, for keeping us safe. And we're talking about a regime here whose first instinct on uh, dealing with the pandemic was tr to try to suspend trial by jury and to suspend freedom of information because they felt that uh, you know the government, the Scottish government, was going to be too busy to deal with information requests because they would be so busy dealing with the pandemic that they they just suspended freedom of information requests made them much harder uh, we've got this hate crimes legislation that they seem to be pushing Which is terrifying absolutely this terrifying character, Hamza Yusuf Hamza Yusuf is uh, I think one of the most divisive politicians uh, anywhere, really. Well, divisive is, is a bit of a polite word because I think he's much worse than that, isn't he? I mean, divisive, people always use the word divisive about Margaret Thatcher. Um, I think it's a bit of a sort of cop-out word. But, but, but Hamza Yusuf is, is a, a very unpleasant demagogue. He's, I mean, this hate speech thing is, is, is a yeah. tremendous threat to free speech. I, mean, I, I, I think it is. I mean, there's a, a magazine that you and I both write for from time to time um, and speaking to one of the editors there they they, they discussed it and, and thought you know they it would make it they that they probably couldn't publish in Scotland anymore uh, I mean this is uh, you know really strikes at the uh, the roots of our society this sort of thing and the, and they 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 still have this uh, wish for every child in Scotland to have a state guardian which is uh, I think a deliberately Marxist ploy to uh, try to um, you know insert a sort of wedge between parents and their children, such that they had in in East Germany and places like that. I mean, you know, people. Uh, I, I, sh I will when when nationalists listen to this um, podcast, um, they will throw all sorts of stuff at me on social media. I remember I uh, a few weeks ago the Times came to interview me and. Um, there was that usual box at the end of the profile where it was, you know, what was my favourite piece of music and all that kind of thing. And they... Um, you didn't say Horst Vessel, did you? I didn't, or no. <laughs> no, well, well I come, what I did say, when, when it came to um, the... They said, which historical figure 
do you identify with? And I said, well, it's a bit presumptuous for me to identify with any historical figure. But it was at the uh, the time of uh, the Battle of Britain anniversary, and I said that I'd been thinking a lot about um, Field Marshal Dowding, who is a local man. He he comes he came from Moffat in Dumfriesshire, where yeah. there's a memorial to him. Uh, and I said I've been thinking about a lot about him lately because um, without him, we'd have been ruled by the SNP since 1940 in collaboration with the Nazis, yeah. uh, which is uh, historically true because the, the, the early SNP um, was the Scottish equivalent of Mosley's black shirts. And they, yeah. they did have a plan to be the, the Scottish Quislings. Uh, ironically, they... They call unionist quislings, um, which is a, a, a really bitter irony. But they always project, basically. Yeah. The, the um, anyway, I, I had they, they, got, they then got a, uh, a no lesser figure than Professor Sir Tom Devine, um, the most eminent historian in Scotland, to uh, denounce me on the front page of the national newspaper for these outrageous uh, comments that I'd made. But there is, there is something... Um, really uh, deeply authoritarian about the SNP, and um, you know we're seeing we're seeing this increasingly with the way they behave, and it does it does I think go back to those um, those early roots. Yeah, well, you 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 mentioned this their shocking policy where every child is going to have a named guardian and i think you're, you 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 mentioned Marxism. yeah i mean they're, they're not pushing that at the moment but they but they they keep coming back oh yeah, back at it. It, yeah. It, it's not going to yeah. go away but it's it's not just marxism that does this every every totalitarian movement separates children they they try to break the bonds of of parent and child because yeah. look at what happened in the cultural revolution under mao for example that that children were encouraged to denounce their parents why do they do this? Because they want the state to be your your yeah. parent, yes. not yes. I mean, Nicola Sturgeon, um, she uh, she calls herself uh, the chief mammy. She doesn't. Uh, that, it, that is scary. that's a sort of deliberate uh, attempt to become the sort of mother of the nation. Uh, mm. I mean, it's a weirdly narcissist, narcissistic. Uh, way of thinking but it, it it's also rather revealing isn't it i, I you know I, it's it's very spooky what's going on at the moment and uh as you know we you know we we now have a a movement in scotland to try and uh and counter this and um it's striking how many women in particular are coming forward now quietly uh, you know not wanting to perhaps support us to Overtly, again, it it reminds me so much of um, what went on in Northern Ireland when I was serving there, of a, of a population that was um, really, in many ways, quite quite scared. I mean, you'd go out on patrol and um, you would see people perhaps driving towards you down the road, and they would just quietly lift one finger off the off the steering wheel just to say, you know, don't worry, I'm on your side. Um, Interesting. And um, this was, was this in sort of bandit country? In our, in yeah, South this was Armagh, in South Armagh, which is a very, very similar part of the country to Galloway. I mean, the landscape is is almost identical. The um, 
the farming community is is almost identical and um and this is what really scares me i think the way scotland is going with these polarized communities people people never used to fly flags anywhere in scotland when i was growing up and now when you see the saltar in a in a garden in a village um you know that's somebody there making a a, deliber- a deliberate statement that they are a, a nationalist i mean they have stolen our flag the national flag of scotland is now associated with one particular community in the way that in northern ireland <clears throat> you would particularly in belfast um you know you'd go from shankill road where even the curbstones were plain, painted uh you know red white and blue um across down into the falls road and and you know there you were everything would be green white and orange yes and um i mean that there's always been uh sectarianism in glasgow there's rangers 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 celtic. and celtic and um the the smp have made a great show of bringing in legislation to ban certain football songs being being sung and that kind of thing but at the same time what they've really done is actually very subtly spread that sectarianism all the way across scotland and uh it's uh, you know it's really becoming quite toxic and um families are divided over the issue communities workplaces uh, are really um, becoming more and more divided now. Um, and I think next year's elections, um, you know, will, will, could, could be really unpleasant. The, I mean, the, the independence referendum in, in 2014 um, was a deeply traumatic experience for Scotland because it, it, it divided communities and, and and families and that and that is why i think people are getting so fed up with this this never endum you know this constant going on about a ref uh, you know must have a referendum we've got a mandate for a referendum why won't the government let us have a referendum um and uh you know it it uh i never really sensed any of that growing up in scotland it's just come about in the last 10 years or so and i think it's it's the it's the scottish equivalent really of of trump trumpism of orbanism in hungary of of the the xenophobic little englander strand of of brexitism um you know there it, it, it it's a response to something deeper uh it's a, it's a response i i guess mainly actually to central belt scotland post-industrial scotland feeling left behind by globalism and reaching out to this um nationalism that's there on offer i mean it's um it's not by any means the answer to their problems quite the opposite really but as a as a massive trump fan and someone who (laughs) believes that he's the only person who's going to save us i think there are certain key distinctions between Trump's yeah. base and Nicola Sturgeon's yeah. base because yeah. oh, she's yeah, coming course, yeah. from a yeah it's nationalist uh, and and I suppose in common with Trump who is also nationalist but at the same time the 
political strains that the ideologies that she's borrowing from are very much fascism stroke yeah. stroke marxism he, yeah. he's not he's not tapping no. into that at all no no uh no i think it, i think it's um the where the similarity is is that they're both uh demagogues appealing to people's base uh, instincts uh, trump reaching out to the, the sort of redneck um, Midwest um, anger, yeah, middle, middle America, a, sort of middle American, which is justifiable uh, anger. Yes, um, and Sturgeon very cleverly tapping into this uh, real feeling in um, in the Central Belt, uh, particularly in the old mining areas, the steel towns, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, they. They feel failed by the Tories and 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 failed by Labour. I mean, they um, there's you know there's always talk of this great Tory revival. Um, but if you go to any of these places, they look as look at you as if you're completely mad. If you suge- suggest that you know maybe um, they're going to vote Tory, they um, they say, look, we understand why. Mrs. Thatcher had to close down the mines and the the mills. Deep down, we knew that it was inefficient, that it couldn't last, whatever. What we can never forgive her for is the fact that there was no plan B. And we've just been left hanging here for two generations with no jobs. And, and of course, you know, Labour really failed them as well you know the the tony blair came in and um nothing changed their lives didn't improve they were still jobless um and uh, you know nothing has happened and that, and that's where and that's where it's very different uh, scotland is very different to the the red wall northern cities in england who uh, who have, um, you know, come out in, in droves and voted for Boris. Um, yeah, not again, I imagine. Well, possibly I not. I wouldn't if Possibly I not. But, um, you know, so the nationalists very cleverly saw a gap in the market and they've been selling this dream. And the dream, I think, you know, would very rapidly turn into a nightmare for them if it, if it ever came to reality but nevertheless it it is a dream that gives hope to people who had no hope before and sustains them and politicians in scotland have uh, well part of the problem is that they're they're hopefully hopelessly divided against themselves we've got this tripartite system where the nationalists have cornered 50% 50% of the vote for one party, the SNP. And uh, the the Tories, the Labour and the Liberals are dividing the other 50% between them. So they are guaranteed under the uh, first-past-the-post part of our system here, this, this uh, continental system of the hybrid system of constituency votes and then proportional representation list votes um the 
the SNP have have uh, got themselves into a a really strong position, and they're, they're backed by the Scottish Greens, who are in effect um, your your term watermelons, Marxists, really, with a a green cover, who are also separatists. And between the two of them, um, they've got themselves into a really strong position. And I, I think every every schoolchild knows or used to know that Hitler rose to power in Germany because of the proportional representation that they had in the Weimar Republic. And, um, you know, every school ch- if, if things go on as they are, then... Uh, Every schoolchild uh, in uh, 50 years' time will be learning about how the nationalists in Scotland used a similar system to get themselves into a position where they are pretty much a one-party state. Yes, th- this is very much the the feeling I'm getting about about Scotland. Just just rewind a bit. Um, when I was when I was growing up, when I was sort of starting to know about the world you know maybe I was, I was a university or whatever the scottish education system was was supposed to, was yeah. superior to the english yes. one yes uh, scotland had the most incredible tradition of producing the the greatest thinkers of of the of the british imperial well, period yes, of, uh, the enlightenment the, the, of, the, yeah. of the enlightenment they started yeah. the enlightenment yeah a- adam smith um um david hume and, da- yeah, david hume yeah, yeah yeah all these these brilliant people these 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 uh soldiers uh, explorers yeah everything and we had this fantastic relationship i mean it was a kind of like a sort of bickering couple but you know dr johnson and james boswell but this went back centuries and I mean, you you think about the. I don't. Know, are you are you a Richard Hannay fan? Are you a yes. you know, John Buchan? Yes. And you read those John Buchan novels, and the Scotland it describes there, yeah, is like paradise. Yeah, really it's happy place. Happy place. Yeah. People happy in their skin. Yeah. People actually, frankly, better than the English. Yes. I don't get that feeling now at all. I get it's an unhappy, crabbed, bitter place, full of resentment. What? How did that happen? I mean, it, it, it can't just have been Thatcher's fault, can it? What happened? Uh, n- no, it wasn't just Thatcher's fault. Uh, but I, I think, unfortunately, she uh, it happened a lot of it on her watch. And um, yeah, but the whole the whole of Great Britain was in industrial decline. Yeah, you know, it needed to reinvent itself. Why didn't Scotland benefit from that kind of that that eighties recovery? Well, I mean, in, in, I think in some in, in some places um, we did. I mean, there are the, there were places, uh, in, you know, the Edinburgh financial sector, for example, um, you know, was the, the second biggest financial sector after London in the UK, and or in in fact, I think the second biggest in Europe after London, at one stage because they had all the pension funds and things there. Um, there were a lot of a lot of very uh, good. Um, Scottish industries and 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 uh, food and drink in particular and, and all the rest of it and there was there was a uh, a partial uh, recovery um, but not you know you go to places in East Ayrshire and and Lanarkshire and uh, the outskirts of of Glasgow and uh, Dundee uh, there you know there's still terrible deprivation 
and yeah, there were there were just there was not a revival in the way that there was, say, in Manchester uh, or, the, or the the towns around Manchester. Um, and I don't, I, I mean, I'm sure there are lots of reasons for that, but I, I think um, somehow we've uh, Scots have 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 been talked into grudge and grievance, and you know, it's all the the English fault. The English I, are doing the job of the Jews, basically, in Nazi Germany. Because you, you always need a hate figure, like as, as Orwell said in with his character Emmanuel Goldstein in, in 1984. You need a hate figure so that you can... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It fed, it fed that Anglophobia. I mean, not helped by the fact that, I mean, actually, you know, it was fairly obvious that all the wealth was accruing to the southeast of, of England. Uh, yeah, but, but despite the Barnet formula, where where yeah, yeah, people yeah. in Scotland get more money yeah, from the British yeah, government, yeah. So, so you know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't get this. So you, the, the, there's got to be something going on, something that happened to Scotland that that somehow rendered it incapable of enjoying the boom that it could have had in the eighties. And is it that kind of welfareism mentality? Did did the Scots suddenly stop respecting themselves? Did they start? Sucking on the teachers. Well, I think as, state too long. I, I think welfareism um, does have a lot to answer for it, actually. Um, and I've, I wrote about that quite a bit in my book in in, in Red Rag to a Bull that you talked about earlier um, uh, about seeing um, people living in the around here in the countryside who who were blatantly really sort of milking the system and had lost all pride in themselves as a result really um and i i i i think um you know the nationalists have have tapped this this deep well of resentment, resentment. uh grudge and grievance and and there has been a um a counter enlightenment there is no doubt an endarkenment and a, yeah absolutely um we've uh We've somehow just retreated from the age of reason that Smith and Hume led the way on, really, as you said, um, back into superstition and um, religions. Re- religions now being, you know, the religion of the NHS and, and welfareism and whatever, rather than. Well, that must be another another element that, that I, I imagine church going has declined and, and and it's been replaced by these secular religions yeah so, so yes exactly a retreat into secular religions into into superstition you know the the english are, st- are stealing our money um and and aided really by postmodernism um you know it's identity politics is is really used the whole time now in Scotland you know unionists are demonized as unes uh, and if you're tainted with being a un then uh, you know the cybernats um, every night crawl out from underneath uh, coffin lids and attack old ladies on uh, on Twitter you know for being unes uh, this, and this is yeah. identity politics and um, the the, the counter enlightenment, I think, is something that, that various uh, writers in Scotland are increasingly starting to explore. Because um, you know there is there is, there are very few rational arguments for 
independence. Um, I mean, you can make a sort of small is better argument. Um, but if small really was better, you would actually split Scotland up into into much smaller entities, political entities. Uh, you wouldn't leave it, leave uh, the, the dominant central belt um, ruling uh, places like Dumfries and Galloway, uh, where we, you know, we're very rural and we don't, we don't think the same way at all. And I think that that may be ultimately what happens is that, uh, that once the nationalist genie is out of the lamp, then um, Shetland is already saying, well, hang on a second. Uh, you know, <laughs> we'll you actually be part of this. we'll we'll go back to being the kingdom of Shetland. Thanks very much. Yeah, uh, and there's quite a bit of that sort of thing going on at the moment, which is which is interesting. Is Shetland, by the way, what what are its politics? Is it gonna, is it like us, or is it like like is it like um, Cybernet? It's uh, they 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 they're deeply um, pro um, pro monarchy pro pro being british um but i think what they would really like to be is a uh, have dominion status like the channel islands or the isle of man that's how they see themselves i think i see right yeah well yeah, it's the, well now you mentioned isle of man that gives me an idea okay yeah. so maybe lo- low tax uh, uh, yeah yeah that and uh, they i mean they own most of the oil not that the oil is probably worth very much anymore um and and a lot of the I fish. Think I think there's no. I've I've got I've got shares in this um, oil company, which is which is exploiting um, the that territory. It seems to be doing very well. Right. So I think you know it's not it's not over yet. It's not over yet by any means. But but um, I think the uh, the boom years are over. Oh yeah. No. Oh well. Yeah. Do the dog just gonna push open? Yeah. Yeah. It came Don't in worry, and knocked, it o- knocked over the yeah, but then yeah. my dog came in and yeah. doubled down and pushed yeah. over my water glass. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, thing is, Jamie, um, tell me about your your resistance first of all to this, your your resistance movement to this, what you're hoping to achieve. Yeah. Well, it's it's right to call it a resistance movement um, because uh, I I first sort of came across it. Um, when I, um, if you remember, a year or so back, I I changed direction in my life and became a journalist. It's not something I'd really been before. I'd written a couple of books. Can I just say, bloody stupid thing to do. I mean, you know, you yeah, think farming, yeah. being a <laughs> yeah. farmer's bad. Yeah. <laughs> Try being a journalist in, the, in 2020. I it's know. just a cr- shit job. I'm sorry. Jake, I know. You're it, mad. It, it, it really is. Uh, and I, I'm fortunate um in uh in uh, in having occasionally earning a little bit from farming and you've got cows and, and you've having got a, an properties army, that you an army pension i'm a pensioner oh well done um but uh yeah journalism uh, and I, young people increasingly ask me for advice about being a journalist and i and i <laughs> say well uh <laughs> try to think about it as a second a second income because unfortunately it just seems to be Dying, no, the reason it? you should do you should do journalism, Jamie, is but is is the reason that you do it because you're you're very good at it. You write you write like a dream, and uh, I I mean I, I I really do think that you 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 write about country matters, you know, about about your life here. You you've got your column in Country Life. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a joy to read. You write for the Telegraph occasionally. You write for the Spectator. Um, but 
it's a hobby. You know, you're you're a hobby. hobby well, it's a bit more. I I, I actually find it, it's more than a hobby. It's it, it it has become quite consuming, but it's a it's added the pay. Su- the pay. Come on, you can't live on on no, no pay. No, it's just the, the it, rates are so low now. Yeah, it, but it's added a an important dimension to my life actually now that, that uh, you know I, n- I normally have a book review or something on on the boil and it it uh i do find it it, it um really it, it makes me think and it also really most importantly um helps me put my point of view across uh and, and it probably I, helps you 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 get your to work out what it is you think exactly yes yes and i and anyway i was sort of um and um, and you talk about journalists earning no money. Um, I mean, I became a journalist partly because various literary agents said, your books are fantastic, Jamie, but um, writing books makes no money. And so, um, you know, maybe think about the books as being um, a way of advertising yourself. Keep talking, I'll get rid of and, that dog. Uh, become a columnist, uh, which is, you know, as you know what I've done. But um, anyway, various people... Uh, then said, uh, okay, if you're going to be a proper journalist, you've got to get yourself on Twitter. And um, and that, that again, opened up a whole new world for me. And, um, I mean, in some ways, not a in a hell good, world. Yeah, it's, in like, some it's ways, like opening, not the, in a opening good way. the portals of hell. I know, yeah, because you come across all these sort of shouty people. Uh, who well you you get shouted at more, a lot more than I do but um, and um, and then I I suddenly became aware of this Scottish resistance movement on Twitter with some really highly honourable decent intelligent people many of them grandmothers retired academics. Um, Churchman, um, James McMillan. James McMillan. He's a hero. Have you come across him? No. Oh my God! Only the greatest living British composer. Okay. And and he's Scottish. Yeah. And he's one. He's one of you. Okay. I mean, he's he he actually believes in in. Does he call quality. himself something else on Twitter? Because a lot of people hide. Their identity. No, you might, you might, you might have left Twitter, but but uh, you should know about James. I mean, Goodman's. a lot of people, but particularly women, for for understandable reasons, uh, hide their identities on Twitter yeah. because uh, they get um, some really unpleasant threats, and um, you know, and, and, and their personal security is is. Um, would be compromised if they identified themselves. You're right. Cybernats are the most aggressive, viciously aggressive people on yeah. Twitter. The worst. Yeah, they, and they're the, they are, let, let's be quite clear about this, um, Sinn Féin IRA, who are very closely, close friends of the SNP, right. uh, are a, a dualist organisation with where, where a paramilitary wing and a political wing. Yeah. And the SNP are organised uh, along very similar lines, with and the cybernats are you know they're the shock troops of nationalism yeah in cyberspace and they they deliberately intimidate people and uh and i so i came onto it and i thought oh my god because down here in rural galloway um you don't really see it very much you know most people down in this neck of the woods are unionists and um 
the the few nationalists that there are are not rabid um not, not don't tend to be terribly rabid uh, separatists um but on twitter i thought oh my god what is going on and i find myself being sucked into this very dark world of um these uh this brave resistance standing up to the state really uh, yeah. or outriders of the state and um and so I and I so I, I then I mean I, I I started off on Twitter, um, you know, talking about agriculture and uh, um, countering uh, veganism and um, which which is another kind of wedge which is being it inserted. is yeah. it, it, it it's not an accidental thing veganism well but. veganism let's talk briefly about that 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 um, is an unholy alliance of um, Rousseauists yeah. Um, Everything Call them what the you will, really, but, but but a lot of them are Marxists, the, the, um, the watermelons that we've discussed. An unholy alliance of them, uh, having a lot of them having their strings pulled by um, corporate capitalism, big food. Big food, uh, I mean, in the context of COVID, this is, this is fascinating, really. I mean, we we would not have had to have national lockdowns and all that kind of thing, if our metabolic health as a nation had been okay. We we would have just shielded the elderly and um, COVID would not have been uh, deadly for most people. But anybody with type 2 diabetes uh, is in mortal danger from COVID. Type 2 diabetes is a condition that was virtually unknown until this generation and it's been caused by uh, corporate capitalists big big food essentially yeah uh feeding us uh these processed foods is it sort of stuff corn syrup and stuff like that yeah obviously. this sort of gloop um that in all these uh, you know the, the fake meat the um the processed ready meals and all the rest of it, which uh, contain uh, deeply um, unpleasant vegetable oils, lots of soya, uh, lots and lots of sugar, and carbs. And and you know we are not we and we're not designed. We haven't evolved um, eating too many grains and things. We're, we're designed to eat meat. We're designed we? to eat meat and yeah. and green vegetables and and fruit and whatever eggs and dairy products you know whatever we can sort of protein yeah pr- protein and and saturated fats and um it's been astonishing actually how there's been a sort of news blackout on this this year i mean i i thought i'm i i don't know why uh politicians didn't say look we've got this problem you've all got to eat really well now think about what you eat and get out in the sunshine and get lots of vitamin d instead uh, we were all told to stay inside uh, and <laughs> out of the sunshine, and nobody said anything about eating healthily. And I, I thought that was quite extraordinary. I think for a fraction of the budget that the government has blown on on mountains of PPE, which are never going to be used, yeah. and on their ridiculous test and trace, which all it t- track and trace, which all it, all it does is 
actually increase the number of false positive tests and give a false impression of the of the status of the of the disease in the country. Yeah, for that for a fraction of the price, they could have given us a a. a a T-bone, a prime T-bone steak each yeah. every day yeah. with free salad. Yeah. And we'd yeah. have been or sorted. Spinach. Um, yeah. Would have been boring every day, I would think. Eggs but, on but, top, lots of cheese. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, you know, I think the everybody goes on about how the UK and Scotland in particular, actually, although that uh, statistic never comes out, has fared worse than other countries. Well, it's quite simple. We have the worst diet of anywhere in the you Western world. You must have so many type 2 di- diabetics here, I imagine. I think, yes, I think there are a lot. And they are, you know, they're very scared. And quite understandably, because they, they would be very ill if they got Well, you're absolutely COVID. right. I've, I've, I've read papers on this, that, that, that there are receptors um, in your body as a result of, of, um, of type 2 diabetes, which, which actually render you much more vulnerable yeah. To, to to COVID and you're you are, as you say, more likely to, yeah. to die and everything. Yeah, yeah. And, and and people are failing to draw the obvious deduction. I mean, people talk about the the, the great reset and build back back and forth. I mean, to to me, the first thing that he's doing is sorting out the the nation's diet. And as a as a libertarian, that sort of rather pains me because that means you you've got to be a bit sort of nanny state about it. But but um you know we we need to get the uh we need to stop big food making us ill and then having to rely on big pharma to make us better again yes um and uh so that that was my um that was my sort of mission early on yeah. on twitter and i came across all sorts of wonderful people on there uh, dr tim noakes down in south africa and uh, uh frank mcloner in the states and 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 um all these uh, wonderful people, and then, anyway, as I said, I, I then I then was drawn into this um, anti-nationalist resistance. Yes, and um, people started sort of getting hold of me on Twitter through DMs. Yeah, and saying, uh, "Look, we like what you've been saying, and uh, be our leader." Well, <laughs> well, not really, but yeah, they were they were looking looking for leadership um because i have to say from from outside it is if you're living in england it is very tempting to look up at scotland and think it's a lost it's a lost cause you know nicola the, yeah the, the cranky that woman. that is so dangerous people in england thinking that and that is so dangerous for 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 so many reasons what one is uh that obviously we don't want to be Abandoned to our fate. No, that's awful. Uh, yeah. But also uh, the the little Englanders who think you know we'd be much better off without those whinging jocks have not thought it through. Um, former UK abbreviation FUK. Yeah. The abbreviation is opposite. Yeah. Because you would be uh, the loss of prestige in the world. Uh, you know, possibly the loss of the the, the UN Security Council seat, uh, the difficulty in in remaining a nuclear power, uh, no longer being an oil-producing state, just the loss of prestige. I mean, the, 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 we've only been called Great Britain since 1707. That was a, a part of the the whole union package. Is you know, we're now going to call ourselves Great Britain. Um, could you really? 
carry on calling yourself a united kingdom if you'd lost half your mainland landmass, uh, particularly as Ulster, you know, is 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 more yeah, at arm's all, length than it used to be. More than that, Jamie. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I accept these are, these are all bad things, but more than that, you've got half the people in Scotland who would whose lives would be made. Miserable. miserable by yeah. that it's yeah. just like you can't betray yeah. a, uh, I mean, what's the population of Scotland six million or there about something six like million. That, but, so, so um, three million yeah. people at least yeah who 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 have every right to well it gets worse it gets worse than that because uh, you know it, it comes back to this demographic um imbalance uh this demographic deficit where the the um urban mainly socialist uh central belt yeah uh, would be dictating uh, to rural Scotland, which uh, is very unlikely to vote um, for independence, uh, I think. I mean, last time, 2014, um, over 60%, or around 60% anyway, uh, uh, of rural Scotland uh, in the south of Scotland and in the, in the north voted for independence. What the vote was for in 2014 actually was for the city-states of Glasgow and Dundee to become independent. Uh, that was the result. Uh, Edinburgh did not vote for independence. And um, you would end up with this um, this ghastly uh, authoritarian state where everybody in rural Scotland would be deeply unhappy because... Uh, you know the nationalists go on about uh, you know whenever there's a Tory government they go on about um, oh well, we we've ended up with a government we didn't vote for. Well, you know the rest of Scotland, most of the landmass of Scotland, sure as hell would end up with a with a government that they haven't voted for. So you you've formed this resistance um, with unlikely character George Galloway. Well, I, the, I was. I was sort of part of this resistance and I'd sort of somehow tapped into this uh, dissident intelligentsia, uh, academics, a lot of them retired academics or or current academics who were having to be very quiet about what they were doing. Um, And uh, quite separately, George Galloway, um, who is uh, somebody um, who normally I would have been poles apart from. Yeah. Uh, Quite separately to this, I came up with this genius idea of forming a formal uh, anti-nationalist movement called the Alliance for Unity. And uh, George was... uh, Somebody suggested to George that... uh, that I was somebody he he should speak to. He was he was casting around to see if there would be enough support for it and whether there would be candidates who would be prepared to stand. And so he came to see me here. Mm. Had lunch. We had lunch together. I wasn't quite sure uh, what George was going to be like. I, he we had we had already um, made contact when he very kindly endorsed one of my books. He wrote something nice for the cover of red rag to a bull mm-hmm. and uh so i knew that we were sort of kindred spirits 
in a sense uh, in that we both uh, i think uh very anti the the big state and um despite him being a, a socialist he's, well, he's very hard <laughs> so he obviously likes the he likes aspects of the big state but not the not the authoritarian ones and um uh george george came and had lunch and we um you know we hit it off pretty well we found actually that there was a lot we had a lot more that united us than divided us and um you know we it's it's a sort of um extraordinary thing that i served in northern ireland uh, while george was a leading member of the troops out movement and sharing he was sharing a platform with jerry adams and martin mcginnis while i was um you know trying to dodge the bombs and bullets and um arrest um some of their followers yeah and i served in um iraq i went and evicted Saddam hussein from kuwait uh, at the same time, if you what was your regiment? I was in the Coldstream Guards, uh, and I was the uh, the oldest, the oldest indeed regiment, indeed. And um, I uh, and anyway, we 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 sort of and then we we kind of thought about this, and we thought, well, actually, you know, if if Ian Paisley and Marcy McGuinness could actually become really good friends, which I th- they did, I think before. Yeah. They both died, um, and and kind of get over their differences for a really important common cause of bringing peace to Northern Ireland. Then, you know, George and I should really do the same. And George, uh, George uh, uh, joked on our first meeting, um, uh, we were brought together by by this uh, mutual friend, and he, he said, "Well, you know, you you you're like Roosevelt. You're bringing." Churchill and Stalin together to defeat the Nazis <laughs> to this friend and um, and I think uh, it's a bit like that yeah when you look when you look back at the history of the Second World War um, some of Churchill's um, stoutest allies were people like George people from the the old Labour left hard left tradition uh, the, the, the That's sort true. of in Ernest Bevin people Bev- like in, very in important Bevin and people like that. Yeah, and interesting that George, uh, deep down, is a, a real patriot. I mean, he's had a funny way of showing it sometimes. But the parliamentary motion to put up a memorial in London to Bomber Command, if you remember, was deeply controversial. Yeah, because of the Hamburg firestorm and all that kind of stuff. Uh, George was the only Labour MP to sign that motion. And uh, if you look back on um, Google, you will find the articles he wrote at the time, fiercely in support of a memorial to Bomber Command. And, um, you know, he has this uh, this interesting side to him where, um, you know, it's sort of um, he can be deeply for a united Ireland, but at the same time deeply for a united Britain, uh, which seems, until you kind of think it through, to be um, <laughs> slightly odd. But that's... Which it is. But actually, when you look more deeply into it, it's it's part of, uh, you know, the, the Labour... Parts of the Labour Party have always um, has felt that. So um, I'm just conscious of the fact that um, I need a, a gin... 
Yeah. And well, I can hear voices next door of people having gins. Yeah. So we what, should hit the gin. Well, I think we should have a gin um, and, and maybe continue this podcast. Yeah. Um, after we've shot some wildlife or something. Um, yeah. Because um, apart from this, I want to I, I want to find out a bit more about what you did in Iraq. Because because you know I mean like I'm interested in soldiering, and also I'm interested in whether you share my view that the army has be- become completely cucked. Um, I don't know if you've got any insights on that one, but we, well, anyway, we've got more to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Let's do that. All right, let's have okay. All right. Great. Great. Like- Welcome back to the Delling Pod with me, James Delling Pod, and my very special guest, Jamie Blackett. I before we go on, I ought to um, mention I love it when people sponsor me on Patreon or Subscribestar. Without your support, uh, I it wouldn't be worth doing this actually, and I really appreciate it. So, so do please support me on on Patreon or Subscribestar. You get early access to the pods, and you you join a community. I, I call it Cafe Dellingpole. It's like minded people, and I think we all recognise that the world is going to hell in a handcart, and uh, those of us who are fighting the fight need support. So, so thank you, um, Jamie. If I were a professional podcaster, I mean, like, like a sort of, I don't know, really, really good. What I'd have done is I'd have gone through the previous hour of recording and listened carefully, making sure I didn't repeat myself at any stage. But I'm just not that kind of. I, I, I think. Yeah. Pe- so people are just going to assume you're. Getting a bit senile, James. Probably the, the, people who listen to the um, to London Calling with, with my podcast with Toby will know that occasionally Toby and I tell the same anecdotes for the third <laughs> or fourth time, and I think it's it's. Do you know what? I call it part of our charm. Yeah, and it's the same with this. Just like being in a sort of family conversation somewhere. Exactly. I think people people like the authenticity of this pod, and they like they like its kind of rough edges. Um, since we last spoke, I've got a, I've got a better feel for. Dumfries and Galloway and and the people who live here and I I just think you have a little corner of of paradise here and yeah. there's just there is a snake in the garden and we know what that snake's name is yeah and I I don't think that people in England particularly there's a there's a there's a sense now that that Scotland's over because you know it, it's we, we there's a lot of defeatist talk around yes and I would urge my compatriots not to abandon you you scots because i think we are better together and i think what what nicola sturgeon and the snp are doing to scotland is unconscionable yeah um so thank you for fighting the fight tell me about tell me about your alliance because you are i think it's really charming that you've you've decided to to um form a resistance and unnecessary yeah, well, um, I think we I think we were talking a little bit about this, and and that it, resistance is a good word as it, it grew out of the resistance. And I think I'd got as far as saying that George Galloway had this um, genius idea. Really, I mean, he he um, he's a very clear thinker, as you know, and he just said, "Look, this business of the three old pre-devolution parties." Conservatives, Labour and Liberals doing the same thing at every election and getting the same result is Einstein's yeah, know, definition, definition of madness. Of madness. And, 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 and so he, he, he formed this alliance. Um, he came to see me, asked me if I would join. And then we've now got to the point actually where we've now grown quite a big party and um, 
George has decided, uh, well, it was a sort of joint decision, really, that he would step aside and, I, and, and that I would take over as the leader. You're the leader. And what really the thinking behind that was we're still very much a, a partnership. Um, and we sort of complement each other quite well in, in, in terms of being at opposing ends of the spectrum politically though we actually agree on most things, a lot of, quite a lot of things, really. Um, but also uh, our skills uh, sort of complement each other, really. I suppose I'm uh, more of a uh, somebody who uses their pen rather than speaks. Uh, George is a terrific orator, as we know, probably the, the finest orator, arguably, in the country today. And... Um, and we thought, well, you know, if we were a football team um, and we had this brilliant maverick star centre forward, uh, would we burden him with the captaincy um, or would, would we give it to a, a midfielder and allow the centre forward to do his, his thing and focus on, on being the, the spearhead of the attack and, and not necessarily have to worry about... Um, all the other things that go go with being a a leader of a party. So um, so we've we've just um, done that. Um, he's still very much going to be the outward face of the alliance for unity in lots of ways. Um, but I I'm now the leader, and we've got um, some really excellent candidates who have just come forward. Um, they're really uh, broad spectrum. Um, We've got some uh, some quite right wing people. We've got a lot of um, very sort of uh, liberal minded people who are sort of uh, political who f- were, I think, politically homeless, really, actually, um, in Scotland. Um, uh, but uh, I, I wouldn't describe them as right wing or left wing or or anything really. Um, they they but they have very very strong views about what's happening in Scotland today and we've got a lot of people um, on the left probably more people on the left than on the right because um, Cause you know, Scotland is pretty left Scotland right? yeah uh, Scotland uh, um, you know has a very strong Labour tradition and um, we don't want to change that uh, so how and, are you going to I, I mean I, I, I think there's a lot of people who feel politically homeless right now not just in Scotland but yeah. in, in England as, and elsewhere and I'm not sure that Conservatives and Labour are, are particularly doing the job for a lot of people right now. Um, so I, th- I think it, the, the time is ripe for disruptive movements yeah. like yours. But, yeah. but are you just, I mean, how are you going to have policies? Or are you, are you just going to be the alliance for people who want to keep Scotland well, united? Well, what, what we, what we have, when people, uh, when I explain it to them in in terms of a a council people understand completely because on a lot of regional councils in Scotland um, a lot of them are coalitions and believe it or not in Aberdeen um, which um, has just I think been judged uh, voted I don't know how they these polls work but um, they ask people about their local councils and the one in Aberdeen uh, people really like what's going on and that is a coalition of Tories and Labour believe it or not. And right. the, the Labour members um, have been excommunicated by the Labour Party 
for going into into coalition with the wicked Tories. Uh, but they're doing a thunderingly good job for the people of Aberdeen. And um, and on a lot of these councils, you've got a lot of independents. A lot of people sit as independents, as councillors. And so people sort of understand that, and that, that um, you know, often that can work really well on a council. And actually, there's no reason why um, the Scottish government, as it is now called, nobody voted for there to be a something called the Scottish government. Uh, in the after devolution, it was the Scottish executive, and then the nationalists, very clever uh, people that they are. Um, got Westminster to agree in a moment of weakness that they would be called the Scottish government. Nobody in Scotland has ever actually voted on that. Um, yeah. The, 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 um, so the, this uh, assembly, this executive, this government, whatever you want to call it in Holyrood, is, is a sort of halfway house really between the councils and governments, um, central government in London. And it is, um, we think, would be better served actually for a, a period of time anyway, um, being a coalition that, it, that included lots of very independently minded people. Right. And I think that would be good for several reasons. Um, one, I think it would stop the sort of groupthink that we've been seeing, you know, with, uh, with COVID, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, there are a lot of, been a lot of people questioning uh, what's, you know, the policies of lockdown and whatever and i i you know i'm not going to go into now no. whether whether what's right or what's wrong but it just seems to me that the politicians in edinburgh have been like sheep they've all gone oh, through nicola, the same gate nicola sturgeon has completely embraced covid as her thing she's yeah. used it as an excuse to increase her power yeah and 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 to to stamp her brand yeah even more yeah. forcefully uh, yeah and the political class um, has um, by and large really um, gone along with a lot of these things and there, there, there has been quite a lot of groupthink and I think having a more independent you know more independence in the parliament would help with that and it would also I think um, make um, make it far less corrupt because you would you know the par party systems are by their very nature uh, a little bit corrupting uh, I think, and, and, sure. and having people in coalition, uh, it sort of keeps everybody, everybody right. I think. Sure. Okay. Um, so, so, uh, am I right in thinking you've got you've got proportional representation here, and that's part of the well, problem. we've got this this funny system uh, where it's um, uh, first past the post in the constituency seats, but then you've got all these list seats. So um, roughly half the seats uh, are one on a first-past-the-post system and the other half roughly are on this Dehont continental proportional representation um, AV system. And that's how they get into, they get into power, the SNP. Yeah, they don't necessarily um, have a lot, lot of votes, but because of the system, they... Well, actually, they win most of their seats um, on the first past the post system, oh, do they? Right, but okay. on a minority of the vote, more than more often than not, it's comparatively rare for them to win a seat with more than fifty percent of the right. votes cast. But um, the other half of the, the vote is is split three ways: Tory, so, Labour, so, okay. and 
and liberals. So let me just spell this out for, for those um, sitting at the back. The, the SNP is absolutely the dominant party in Scotland right now. Yeah. And yet it has not even got 50% of the vote. They've never never received 50% of the vote. And, and very often, there's actually been quite a low turnout. I think uh, a lot of voters in Scotland have been rather turned off by the whole thing. And they, they we're, what we're hoping is by uh, bringing in some fresh voices, yeah. um, some new people, uh, some new ideas, that it's going to energise politics again. Uh, George Galloway, people are, people are really excited about George Galloway being back in politics in Scotland, whether they're right wing or left wing, it doesn't matter. They think, you know, George actually, in 2014, was um, by far and away, well, either, there are, you know, some people say Gordon Brown was the best debater uh, um, in, in the independence referendum, but an awful lot of people uh, say that George was. And um, I think he's um, he's going to energise it. And I think having um, some really good candidates, which we have, who are, um, you know, they're experts in their field. Are, we've got two GPs covering health well one is covering health and the, the other is actually working on other stuff at the moment for us but um um you know and and the SNP's record on health is deplorable that we're short of 850 GPs in Scotland you know which has exacerbated the whole covid experience and um it was only when this uh, GP, Dr. Bruce Halliday, who actually is uh, practices here in Dumfries. Um, I said, well, why don't you write an article about what's wrong with health in Scotland? And he just sort of spelt it all out. And people said, gee whiz, I, I never knew that. Why has nobody been telling us anything about that? And it's because he, you know, he's an expert in his field. He's not a professional politician. Mm. He's somebody who's been at the coalface. Um Arthur Keith, our veterans spokesman, you know, really understands the problems that veterans, young men committing suicide and suffering from PTSD and um, often ex-servicemen um, are homeless um, or form a large proportion of the homeless. Uh, there, You know, there is a man who was regimental sergeant major of the Black Watch, uh, comes from Dundee and um, served goodness knows how many times in Northern Ireland in Afghanistan he's been all over the, the world he and he um, he really understands uh, the spokesman of the other parties uh, they you know have, have don't have that experience no but I, I look I'm I'm sold that that you're gonna produce some solid candidates with with way more hinterland and knowledge and stuff than yeah. I've seen SNP MPs. They're scary. They're they're, they're like, well, they're, they're sort of zealots. They're, yeah. they're 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 stormtroopers, is what they are. And that that I don't think is going to be your problem. I think your problem is going to be surely that you have in power now a really ruthless party which uses the same techniques that Hitler used in the 1930s to get to gain power. I mean, there are many parallels, are there not? Yeah. Yeah, there are, and and you know, as we as we discussed, you know, all all these um, this sort of cultural 
Marxism, driving wedge, wedges but, you know, into families between parents and children, all this. Sort well, of that, but you, but you uh, give but me another. But, they, but they've they've really, um, they've really um, got a stranglehold on all the institutions in Scotland. They centralised the police force. That is that is really scary. Control. You know, there used to be a chief constable of the local constabulary, and uh, he was, um, you know, sort of networked into the local. Uh, hierarchy with the, the, the council and and, yeah. and all that sort of thing. Uh, now that's all been centralised and pretty much under direct control of the government of um, you know of Nicola Sturgeon and Hamza the, the Yusuf Nicholas and, and, Brown and, and, and these guys. Yeah, and um, uh, I think people now are quite fearful of the police in Scotland in a way that they were not before because they sort of I'm not you know I'm not saying that they they are. Um, not doing a good job or, or anything like that. But there is just that um, that element of thinking, well, you know, this police force is not accountable to us, the people. It's accountable to the state, you know, that, yeah. and, and a state that, that we don't, we are not, part of we are <laughs> we're 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 treated as um, you know the opposition. I think I think the the police thing is is definitely a worry because there's a danger that I, I mean I imagine when you've got police constabularies divided up when you've got several in the country I mean I don't know how many there were I mean uh, well uh, pretty, pretty much every every county had one originally but yeah. uh, and, then, and then under the reorganizations um, as the council areas got bigger the the constabularies did as well I think you know we, we were we had the Dumfries and Galloway constabulary here and it had its own cat badge and its own identity really i, I suppose and and um uh, we, you know we've lost that now but also i i can just see from the point of view of if a local constabulary goes bad i mean i, I think there are examples in england there are there are there are some which are definitely worse than others they get a kind of dodgy reputation and they can be ref- reformed from people parachuted in from uncorrupt constabularies or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but if you've got one police department in the whole country yeah. and it goes bad, yeah. how do you how do you get rid of the rotten apples? Well, I, I mean, I think this is a, one of the difficulties, not just in the police, but throughout Scotland, is that um, they're all mark, marking their own homework the whole time. Yeah. And this is particularly true in the Parliament. Um the Holyrood Parliament was set up by Tony Blair and Donald Dewar, uh, pretty much as a, as a sort of um, Labour pocket borough, really. Everything goes back to Tony Blair. All all yeah. the evils of the world. That yeah. man is just he's Satan. Yeah. Well, he 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 and Donald Dewar stitched up Scotland. We ended up with a unicameral Parliament. Um, and they said, oh, we don't need the House of Lords. Um, we we don't need a, a second revising chamber because our committees will do it all. <laughs> well, you know, these committees obviously are uh, packed out with with uh, SMP people. And, you know, we had the, the ludicrous situation where the Holyrood Committee investigating uh, possible corruption within the SNP, the suggestion that Nicola Sturgeon and her administration um, had in some way interfered with the course of justice in the 
salmon trial and uh, it, in the course of so doing it actually wasted £500,000 of taxpayers' money. And uh, the, uh, the chairman of the inquiry was SNP. So, you know, you're just always, uh, and Scotland's a small place, and, and you know, you're, they're, they're, they're constantly, mark, as I say, marking their own homework. And surprise, surprise, they, you know, they, they, they are either awarding themselves gold stars or, or failing to award themselves black marks. And, um, and there's, there's just been this lack of scrutiny, you know, there's, there's a hospital in Edinburgh that's been lying empty for years because they've messed up the contract, they've, they've messed up ordering ferries to, you know, the uh, transport system is a mess. And um, I think in England, this sort of thing would have been uh, called out a long time ago and scrutinised because the Parliament's committees in Westminster have real teeth and really get at the truth. The Public Accounts Committee, I and think, the pub- does. Public Accounts yeah. Committee, and, and um, well, some are probably some committees perhaps better than others. But and and and, and obviously there is the the House of Lords as well. Um, and Holyrood is a weak system, and I think I mean we as a party. Uh, because we're such a broad spectrum, we don't have a policy of, um, you know, we're not tying ourselves down to 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 a policy. But we certainly are sympathetic to the idea that uh, certainly Holyrood needs reforming, and um, and that the people maybe at some point should be given a vote again on whether they really want to carry on with this tier of government well that'd be bloody marvelous if you got if you got that far but you know baby steps eh? i mean first yeah. of all you've got to deal with this well this we've got to yes i mean we've got to get the nationalists out and we've got to get uh pro union msps in and we've and um somehow we've got to get the three major parties talking to each other uh working together and if they were if they won't do that we've got to really make tactical voting work yeah, I can't see. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe I'm wrong. I can't see the Conservatives s- standing down their candidates in. So, they're, they're so arrogant, and I'm sure Labour are the same, aren't they? Are they going to play ball? Well, I mean, it's very difficult for them. You can understand they've got their their national sort of infrastructure of constituency chairman and yeah, uh, ladies lunches and you know all that sort sure of but stuff, scotland's and, being and, destroyed before your eyes yeah, you thought people would yeah. realize this yeah exactly and it's a it's a it's a hard sell i mean this is this is what they're coming back to me with <laughs> very often is well look we absolutely agree this is the right thing to do and we can see that your plan would work but uh how on earth are we supposed to sell this to our parties and our candidates yeah um, How are they? And so, well, and I say, well, you know, this this is about Scotland, not about your party. You've got to, you've got to put the country first. Isn't that isn't that um, so typical of what everyone says about conservatives? It's, it's not always just the conservatives. They all, okay. they, you know, they're all, right. they're all, they're all the same, really, in the way that they. And actually, um, are they really so different? I mean, they're all in Scotland anyway. They're all social democrats. Really, uh, they're all um, on the Remain side of the argument on on Brexit. Um, 
they're all pretty much uh, on the same page uh, about um, taxation and health and policing and things. And and George Galloway, um, in his inimitable way, came out with a, a great phrase the other day. He talked about the the narcissism of small differences, and that is really where where we're at with these parties. They're all so desperately trying to scrabble around on the centre ground and um, keep pretty close to the SNP, actually. I mean, the SNP have dragged them because they've been so leftwards. powerful in this leftward um, pro, pro-EU, anti-Brexit um, direction. That they're, and, <clears throat> and, and so um, you say to them, well, look, really, are you... Are you so different that you can't just work together? And the system pretty much guarantees a coalition every time. I mean, the, the SNP is in coalition yeah. with the Greens at the moment. Why can't you just form a coalition before the election rather than after it? Yeah, yeah. And and we, um, because we're a vanilla brand, yeah. Uh, you know, people accuse us of being right-wing and you say... Well, do you really think George Galloway's right wing? Are you sure about that? Yeah. Uh, well, they accuse us of being a bunch of left wing uh, people, and, and say, and, and you go, well, hang on a second, Jamie Blackett's, uh, you know, George has teamed up with Jamie Blackett and um, two or three other people who, who are, you know, basically pretty, pretty Toryish sort of people. So yeah. how can they be a bunch of left wing? And um, so we're quite hard to attack from that point of view because. Um, you know we are we're we're all encompassing, and we and we we want to we don't want to be rude about the the other three parties. We want to work with them. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. Fair and, enough. Uh, you know, uh, but we are frustrated that um, they won't just acknowledge the real politic of Scottish politics at the moment in a way that in Hungary, for example, uh, you probably know more about this than I do. But uh, you know there has been this anti-Orban coalition formed uh, by all the opposition. Well, I quite like Orban, so I'm, I'm not yeah, so bothered I, by I, it. I, yeah, I think you, you, you probably do. <laughs> you probably do, but the, the precedent is there for uh, an anti-nationalist coalition to be yeah. formed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just... The thing that Nicholas, Nicholas Sturgeon has got, apart from, you know, the tactics of the Nazi party, she's got this kind of... She appeals to people's fantasies of, you know, yeah, let, we'll sort out the details later. Never, you know, don't yeah. worry about the currency. Yeah. It's just going to be better. And yeah. and the main thing is we're not the Westminster government. We're not, you yeah. know. The, the wicked tur- they've, Tories. They've, yeah. used the, they've, they've used xenophobia towards the English in the same way the Germans, the Nazis used it towards the Jews. I mean, you, land reform as well is very... Mugabe-esque, isn't it? I mean, it's about it's it's a form of expropriation. Well, the, well, the extraordinary thing about it is what they've done so far is um, it's been transferring taxpayers' money from the many to the few. I mean, if you if you were a crofter on South Uist or Gear, um, suddenly you hit the jackpot because um, the Scottish government, um, egged on by the by their Green partners, the gardening section, as we call them, yeah. um, have um, given them huge sums of money to buy these 
islands. Many of these crofters are not, are not the indigenous population. A lot of them, quite quite a lot of them, are sort of dentists from Manchester and Birmingham. We've got second second homes of really? these crofts on these islands and things. Um, and um, so you do they do these community buyouts? All this taxpayers' money could be spent on schools or hospitals or whatever. Um, and suddenly you've, instead of having, okay, so instead of having one family who owns this estate, you've got um, 20 or 30 families. But, you know, how is that so much better, really? It, because it, it's taxpayers' money. And then, and then they have to carry on, you know, bailing them out because what they didn't really think through is um, that some of these um, big sporting estates they've been buying up in the Highlands and Islands never ever made any money. You know, no. they, they were propped up by you know some rich man uh, working his ass off in London or Hong Kong or somewhere to make all the money to um, to pay the bills so that he could go there um, a few times a year and, um, and and enjoy himself with his family. And 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 you know and that su- supported the local economy and all the rest of it. And um, I'm not saying I mean some community buyouts have have been successful. Uh, the Mull of Galloway, I think, um, is one that's held up as an example. Um, I'm not completely against them, but um, I am against taxpayers' money being wasted for ideological reasons. Yeah. Well, <laughs> didn't I think somebody told me story last night about how um the some wealthy landowner sold his island to this community and they made such a mess of it that they begged him to buy it back well yes it wasn't the, the guy who'd sold it but it was the, the family before that I mean, and, and without going into any, any names or where, where it was but cer- certainly there have been i know of at least one instance of where, where um it's actually led to unhappiness within the community because they then fall out over you know then um you know if they need to spend money on repairs or something they have to you know they they have to go and argue their case for the for the money it's all this sort of um, with the communal, well it's it's sort of a micro communism isn't it really yeah um and um yeah I, I think a lot of them have have said you know actually if we had our time again we wouldn't do this um you know, I mean, I I think that you know there have been there have been lots of uh, um, quite exciting projects um, on the land in Scotland. Um, some people, you know, wilding and 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 all sorts of games. Some some of it's been good. Some of it's been bad. Some okay, of it's wilding, been wild, real, bombers, wilding is bollocks. It, it is. You know, I mean, well, you're going to be telling me that wolves are good next, <laughs> or or sea eagles. What the sea eagles? Well, the sea eagles. Are, they've been, been carrying away sheep. The sea eagles have been ha, have. The, the the unintended consequences of the sea eagles have been terrible, really. I mean, the, the there are these poor crofters trying to make a living with their sheep, um, and the sea eagles. Um, you know, there were sea eagles in Victorian times, but in those days they lived off fish. Now, of course, there aren't any fish because the common fisheries policy um, has destroyed the fish stocks. Um, and uh, so they prey on the lambs instead. And if you introduce, it's whether it's seagulls or wolves or whatever it is, if you um, introduce 
a predator, an apex predator. Well, the trouble is, it isn't an apex predator. You know, it's so the, the wind farm it, is the apex a meso, predator. Yeah, it's a meso predator, and the, and and the lack of uh, and man actually is the apex predator. So if you if you introduce a big predator, and then don't uh, cull it or control it in some way, then you do terrible damage to um, the whole hierarchy of wildlife beneath it. Yeah. And the, and, and the, you know, we see it the whole time with ground nesting birds um, are, you know, lapwings and, and, and uh, golden plovers and things in this part of the world. You, you used to see them the whole time. Now you hardly ever see them. Well, because they've um, been all being eaten by the eagles. Not so much, no, well, I think it's more um, badgers and... Oh, I uh, see, well, because um, the estates aren't being controlled. We, we've mentioned this before about the RSPB who, who don't cull predators for ideological reasons. Well, you're not reasons. allowed to cull uh, badgers, and, and so the numbers have exploded. And is that what, that's an SNP ruling, is it? The, no, um, it the happened budget? long before that. Oh, I see, yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, you know, that, and that's why we, we've got far fewer bumblebees and, far, and grass snakes and hedgehogs and... You know all of these um, animals that are are endangered now. Um, it's largely as a result of, of 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 us failing to to either do our duty as a sort of apex predator or or allow other predators to do the to do the job. I wanted to just change um, subject totally because um, uh, apart from being a you know political um, campaigner. You're also also a a farmer, the, the, the latest and long line of farmers who've farmed this estate, um, and you were telling me that that you've you've shifted from um, beef cattle to yeah. dairy, yeah, and because you were being shafted by all the the, the, the were the Irish farmers were being well, subsidised. I just What's... I just sort of felt, um, you know, Brexit Brexit has been a big. Um, Wake up call! You know, it's a it, it's been a huge uh, it's disruption, been a massive anticlimax, and, um, and it's um, it probably actually for most professions and trades, uh, it it actually hasn't had that much impact. But farming and uh, the, you know the land is 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 obviously one one <laughs> part of the economy definitely is is going to be turned upside down because. Um, that is really the, the 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 EU had primacy over agricultural policy and fisheries policy, but not a lot else actually. So it looked um, you 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 did okay under under the EU. Well, I think okay is probably the right word because um, you know whatever happened, you were guaranteed your subsidies. Um, increasingly, I was feeling, and a lot of farmers were feeling, um, that the whole bureaucratic superstructure was increasingly mad really um you know there're probably just as many bureaucrats in agriculture as there were as there are actual farmers um, i can imagine yeah and, like soviet union and the form filling and yeah it's it was becoming um not dissimilar really to to like being a, a sort of manager of a, of one of stalin's collective farms um you know you lived in fear of an inspection and uh, a commissar coming and finding that one of your cattle had lost its ear tag 
Um, and then, um, you know, uh, it was uh, the sort of underlying assumption was always that um, you would you were um, guilty of, of, of doing something fraudulent. You know, that was always the assumption you were sort of and it made to feel like a criminal. Um, and I hope that's something that will I mean, it hasn't changed yet, but I hope that's something that might change with Brexit. Um, and the other thing, of course, is that, um, you know, the EU was is one giant protectionist market for our beef and lamb and and all the rest of it but um and, and that's a and, and, that, and there's been good and bad things about that i mean the bad thing was that when we went into the um common market as it well, there was um i think we had something like um three thousand three three or four thousand abattoirs in this country um we've now only got a couple of hundred and they're all, most of them, um, six, uh, seventy percent, I think, of them are in the hands of three big processors, uh, all actually Irish-owned. Oh, really? And uh, so we had a sort of, uh, really, a, a cartel situation, uh, um, and um, th- you know we were. It's funny how we were only ever just getting the price, um, which was just enough to allow us to keep going and no more. That must have been so depressing. Yeah. I mean, really? Um, and I thought, you know, actually, um, I've got to change direction here. And if I actually voted Remain, I know that you didn't, but I did. I did people, for people are stopping listening at this point. Really? They're thinking, yeah. really? I, yeah. no, well, I can. I, well I, James, I did it really out of... Self-interest. Um, blatant self-interest. Yeah. And I thought if everybody votes out of self-interest, the result will be the national interest. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I thought, okay, and, but I was a reluctant Remainer. Um, and I, I'm, now, I'm, now, I'm now a sort of cautious Brexiteer, I suppose. And I I, uh, I thought, well, if, if we're going to go through the full cold turkey New Zealand experience of getting rid of subsidies which is what they're talking about doing, whether politically they can do it is another thing, actually, because of the, the socioeconomic sort of impact. Um, then uh, we've got to think like a, a Kiwis here. And we and so we've embraced here uh, a, a New Zealand system of uh, producing milk cheaply from grass. Um, yeah. Most dairy cattle in this country and and actually across the world never go outside there it, it, it is I, I sort of don't like calling it factory farming but but um because uh you know it isn't really i mean the cattle are well looked after well fed um but um you know i don't like seeing cattle i, I mean our cattle have to come inside when the weather gets really bad in the, in, in the middle of the winter they'll, they'll be inside but otherwise they're going to be out grazing and converting that grass straight into protein and and fats so, um, so you're saying that most of the most of the milk the, the dairy cows in in europe or the world are, are, are indoor I think probably in the world actually yeah but that's, cer- certainly, that's quite shocking. certainly it's going that way in this country and the um the impact of that is really felt um well it's felt on the cattle themselves in in their sheds but I, as i say i mean i think i think actually they're, they're perfectly happy uh inside but um the impact is on the the land uh, that that is has to be then farmed intensively for maize or some other 
crop that can be silaged to feed the dairy cows. Right. Uh, and that has a knock-on effect on wildlife, on, on soil. Uh, yeah, it, on, it, it, on it sounds, sounds, sounds wrong to me. It, sound, it sounds um, wrong having cows kept indoors and fed on... But anyway, tell, tell me, tell yeah, me about, uh, about your your New Zealand way. Uh, I, yeah, so we so we we've now, we've now set up this um, share milking arrangement with uh, I've got three partners um, and um, we're we're farming the land uh, together now. We, we are on this um, share milking system where we we split the split the costs and the and the proceeds and the. Um, the young uh, dairy manager has a, a massive incentive because he, you know, he's got he's he's got a big stake in the in the business. He owns part of the part of the herd. Um, but so so how does it, how does it work? Because uh, I mean, what what are the what are the Kiwis learned about about uh, producing milk cheaply and in in an efficient way? Um, well, uh, they 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 absolutely have stripped out all all of the the costs. And the main thing is that they've they mimic nature by treating their dairy herds as if they were herds of buffalo or bison or something on the on the great plains um, right uh, moving from one area to another and and uh, eating the grass right down and manuring the soil trampling it in and and the, it's a combination of the the muck and the urine and the saliva actually that, that has special enzymes in it that then um, helps the grass bounce back and grow, uh, grow back again really quickly, um, and that benefits the wildlife. Every time we move the cattle, we see on that paddock, uh, it's absolutely covered in birds, all manner of birds, because of all the worms and the invertebrates and uh, insects um, that are uh, really benefiting from having. Healthy, That's, healthy soils that are being managed in the way that nature intended by by grazing them. Have you seen that photograph or extraordinary photograph of because it because it used to be the theory, didn't it? it? Used to be the theory that actually um, livestock damaged the soil and that this was a bad thing. And then this 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 farmer, I can't remember where it was. I'm, I'm sure there's been a TED talk about it or something. I've seen photographs of it. Yeah, the land owned by probably. What's his name? Alan Savory. Is Alan the Savory. Guru. Yes. Yeah. I seen a fence, and the there's the on the one one side is this this lush fertile pasture land. On the other, it's a dust bowl, and bizarrely, it's where you've got these the ruminants. Yeah. Are, that that's yeah. the green side. Yeah. And yeah. then this, the, I, I, I when you mentioned this this thing to me, I I got really excited. I mean, I don't I don't know whether anyone else listening to this is excited by it. I I think it's really interesting that that this technique. Which is old school and yet modern, yeah. and it's got happy cows being outside. Yeah. Good for the the environment. Yeah. Good for the and and the cattle go into kind of special areas for. Did you tell me twelve hours? Yeah, they're they're, they're in these paddocks for what what they do actually. We 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 measure the the grass, uh, measure how much grass is in there. Yeah. And then we we fence it off really tightly uh, to make sure that they, that that they get. Just the amount of grass that we want them to get, yeah. um, and then we move them on. Probably twelve, twenty-four hours, I think. And it's a very efficient system because nothing is wasted. Um, in the old way of doing things with me, with my beef herd, 
um, we it was lovely to see cows out in the field all summer um, but they you know they would um, they would waste all the grass because it because you know it would just get covered in cow parts and then they wouldn't eat it and rest of it and um, <laughs> right, yes. and then and then and then the grass uh, would get uh, eaten down to a certain height and then and then pretty much kept at that height um, which um, then stopped it growing because uh, the old saying is gra- grass gets grass it's it, it's photosynthesis you've got to have a lot of leaf you know the more leaf you've got the more it grows right so if you keep it short the whole time um, then it doesn't grow as much oh I see this is no this is all this is all, all really good although I don't want to I don't want to um temp fate by talking too much about it in case people i'm the only person who's interested yeah, in this yeah, in well, this shit. I, it, fairly, it could be it's fairly esoteric subject but yeah but is it oh one more thing what i what i learned that you use plantains yeah which i which i consider a weed i mean i love digging out plantains out of my lawn exactly, they're, they're, yeah. they're funny straggly roots yeah yeah well the kiwis clever people that they that they are um, and this again is a sort of necessity is the mother of invention, really. Yeah. You know, them suddenly going from having subsidies to no subsidies, they had to learn fast how to make money in a new uh, era. And one of the things they learned is is uh, we've all, farmers have always experimented putting different. You look at a grass field. A grass field is not grass. You know, the George Monbiot bangs on about monoculture. Yeah. Um, Actually, in our grass lays, um, you've got lots of different species of grass and clover and chicory quite often. And now, and now plantains. And plantains uh, are, um, I mean, the jury's still out slightly because this is the first year we've grown them. But they they keep growing at um, three degrees centigrade. So that automatically extends the, the growing season. Do you know what I wish? I really bloody wish I'd had this conversation with you before my, the terrible, I, I, you probably didn't see it. I had a really, really shit interview with Andrew Neal where he, basically the, sto- the story is that the previous week, Owen Jones had really given him a hard time <laughs> on, on, on the Daily Politics program. And so he needed a kind of right wing scalp to show that he was, he could be harsh on both sides. And he picked, he picked on me over this, this uh oh god uh i'd been asked to ask i'd had this script written for me by the bbc i don't think i've ever told the story before i i had this script written for me by the bbc's you know and, and i had to appear in this kind of dressed as a zombie or something um to argue that actually leaving the european union under wto rules would be better than whatever sort of monstrosity they'd cooked up and it was a kind of a bit of a, an esoteric point really for sort of trade specialists rather than anyone else but but Andrew Neil decided that it would be good for the viewers and stuff to pick on me and, and show up my ignorance, which, which I, I was woefully ignorant. But actually, part of his argument was, look, you know, you're arguing for WTO, but what about the sheep farmers? What about the, the dairy farmers, whatever? And it would have been so much better if I'd be able to say, Andrew, I don't believe in subsidies. I don't actually believe in, in, in a sort of a, a protective environment like the EU or... or you know, creates for kind of certain preferred um, areas of the economy. Look at what New Zealand did 
and 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 this is how you do it and this is how agriculture should be it would have been so much better yeah and, well i mean but the new zealanders have had, it hasn't all been rosy actually they've had they've been through some tough times as well lately i mean and, well they've got they've got jacinda arden i mean and, how can uh, it not be tough and um, I mean, the, the important thing is, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, I wrote, write about this in my book, um, a lot of the Brexiteers were saying, oh, well, we can just be like New Zealand and farmers will be fine. Yeah. Well, the important thing to, to know about New Zealand is that they didn't just get rid of subsidies and everything was fine. They did loads of other stuff as well. And New Zealand um, agriculture accounts for something like 35% of their economy or something. I mean, you know, really important. Yeah. And... Um, they a lot of the stuff they did was was uh, for instance like uh, devaluing their currency to make sure that it was competitive yeah. their produce was in competitive uh, they could export um you know there's a danger that if we tried that here that our economy might um explode you know in a sort of inflation or whatever i mean you know and and they were also uh, deregulated quite heavily well, that's good, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, actually, Jacinda Ardern is I love busy, busy, busy regulating again, I think, actually. Well, of uh, course but, she would. Uh, but... Um, She's a communist, isn't she? They, uh, you know, they, you, you, you've got to, you've got to, you can't just take the subsidies away. You've got to help in other ways to make sure... Yeah, well, that that's fine. ...it works. Yeah, yeah. But, but we're, uh, we're not going to sit here arguing for subsidies, are we, surely? Um, no, well, I think I... I, I the other thing I, I, I would just caution is that... Um, something has to give, and in New Zealand, the environment is the thing that's given. They their 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 farms are, uh, they really are factory farms. They, oh they, right, they, 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 interesting. Um, you know, there's no there's, there are no hedges, no oh dear, no room for wildlife. Um, and um, you know, if if we if we want to hang on to our wildlife. Um, you've got to you've got to find some way of making it worthwhile for farmers to um, okay keep, keep keep the hedges that's and, interesting and the ponds and the and the the bogs and the um, you know we try uh, you've seen a bit of it here the, we try and have as many different types of habitat here as we possibly can so we've got we've got a bit of sort of riparian uh, habitat we've got ponds we've got uh, marshy bits and bogs we've got um, v different types of woodland um, we've got stubbles over, over the winter which are great for birds we've but you know what this is partly because you're a conservative and you and you understand that the, the bond you have with the landscape and you want you want to be in an environment which is which is attractive and you know i think that that's that's one of the things that's we're in sort of Roger Scruton territory here. Yeah, we are. We are a bit, but but it, but if push came came to shove, and um, you know, and I simply couldn't afford to carry yeah. on uh, farming in that way, in a in a environmentally sensitive way, um, you know, I would I would have to uh, you know have crop every every square inch intensively. Yeah, or you um, or you bloody take the devil's money and you'd erect a sodding wind turbine in your well or yeah or, or or that or or something i mean i i mean you 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 can't be you can't be green if you're in the red is the is yeah, the yeah. NFU okay. slogan and it's it's actually quite right and the other the other thing is that um you know a lot of and actually owen patterson was very good on this where he wrote the 
the Brexit agriculture papers, I think probably various others. And he did fisheries as well, didn't and he? Fisheries, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was, he is somebody who, who did really understand it. And, um, and he said, look, um, upland beef and sheep farms, uh, cannot compete in world markets with um, ranches in Argentina and Texas. Yeah. And if you just go completely to free, you know, free market dogma, uh, they will just die, and that will have terrible consequences. Yeah. For uh, communities like like here in in Dumfries and Galloway, and also the the, the hefted sheep in the Lake District. Hefted, hefted you, sheep you've got to have that. District, so, you know, and yeah. James Rebanks, you read his books. I mean, they're really really good on this sort of thing. I'm going to get him on the podcast one uh, day. Yeah, you should do. Oh, he's yeah. he's great. Yeah. No, yeah. but you're thank um, you, Jamie, for uh, making me uh, realize. So there is this distinction to be made between. Uh, farms uh, that, that, that are on good land, you, uh, uh, if they're on the west side of the country, you say to them, well, look, there's no reason why you can't be a, a really efficient dairy farm. Go for it. Uh, we will make make it possible for you by government getting out of the way. And, and you're all the rest of it. If you're on the east side of the country, you, you know, you can, you can grow um, the, a lot of cereals, whatever, just as well as anywhere else. But if 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 you're if you're some if you're halfway up a mountain, then we will um, we will celebrate uh, what you do for what it is, and it, because it underpins our tourism, uh, it sustains rural communities, and um, you will continue to get subsidies. Now, that message uh, is in danger now of sort of getting lost in the in the post Brexit wash. I think. Yeah. Um, but it needs to to be reiterated loudly and clearly that um, you know that 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 needs to happen, um, and of course everybody's going to fight about it and say, well, I'm you know my my land isn't that good, so why shouldn't I be subsidised? <laughs> yes. I mean, it's it is it's going to be a it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, and I I suspect that that it'll end up with a, a British fudge. Um, oh, I'm sure. I mean, nearly every country in the world subsidises their farmers in some way. And uh, Tim La- Tim Lang's book I reviewed for a newspaper um, not so long ago, and he was very good on it. He he said you've got to, you've actually got to start with the nation's diet and talk about a whole food system right the way back from the plate to 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 the field. And he and and he said you know we need to eat eat more meat, dairy, green veg. I'm up for that. Uh, we I'll do my bit. We don't need yeah we don't need uh, to grow so many cereals because we should be feeding our animals grass rather than grain, and and what what do we what are we lacking in this country? It's vegetables. We're bringing in vegetables from Italy and places and Spain. Um, you know, we should be turning a lot more of our land over to growing veg and having fruit orchards again. You know, this is what the EU did uh, to um, did to the land. Is it is it is, is it sort of forced people to specialize um and instead of the wonderful mixed farms that that uh, you uh, you had everywhere with the the uh, the manure from the animals feeding the the soil to allow the the wheat and the barley to grow um you've got um land on the east side of the country that is sterile it's uh, just simply lacking in any uh, organic matter because it, because there are no animals um and, oh, on, yeah. and on the on 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 the on the west side um 
you know, there, there is there are still mixed farms, but but a lot of the other things like the um, the orchards, cider orchards and things, all were ripped out in the seventies, weren't they? After we went into the EU, we need to we need to get back into into growing. I all think that we stuff. need. You know what we need? I think we need to revive Merry England uh, and and Merry Scotland well, as well. Well, Merry, we need to make Scotland merry again. Yeah, bloody hell yeah. Um, now I. I'm going to need a bath and a whiskey quite soon. Um, but I think we, we should talk briefly about your other um, book, which charming, charming book um, of what was he called? Kitson? Michael Kitson. Michael Kitson, who yeah. was, a, who was a, a beak at your old school. Yeah. Eton. Yeah. But uh, inspirational character. Uh, he was. He was a complete maverick. Um, and uh, the delicious uh, thing about the book, and it's now being adapted for the stage by uh, Henry Philo Bennett, Bennett, who's an up-and-coming playwright, um, and that Kidson is the, the perfect antidote to woke. Uh, I mean, here was a man who was, went out of his way to offend people in a nice way. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to write... Uh, uh, an 80,000-word book or whatever it was, uh, full of anecdotes from his former pupils um, if they hadn't actually uh, quite liked, uh, secretly quite liked, being insulted by him on a regular basis. I mean, here was a man who um, accused an African boy in his class of wanting to eat his dog. Um, I mean, that sort of banter. Sounds reasonable. Uh, well, well, uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe not now. No, but that sort of banter um, has it is completely absent from from classrooms now. Well, totally. Uh, because, he w- and also, uh, he wouldn't get a job at Eton now. He would not get a job there now. And if he did, he would have been fired. And yet, he is, uh, you know, uh, still his memory is um, still sort of revered by. Um, People across uh, government, across the city, across um, you know, there's uh, uh, um, actors and all sorts of people who, um, if they were asked to to um, have a shortlist of the really important mentors in their lives, uh, he would be at the top of, of yeah. it. Yeah, um, and uh, so there's this um, <laughs> this sort of. I don't know how it's going to go down on the stage on the 21st century. Um, this character from the 60s, 70s and 80s um, who in the modern age just um, seems quite extraordinary. And, and yet um, there is this sort of uh, fan club of middle-aged men who just think, thought this man was completely wonderful. But it, it's interesting that that book... I, I mean, you know, some people are going to be saying, "Oh, why are we, why are we sitting here listening about a, a, a master from Eton, the posh boys, you know, exclusive school? Why should I bloody care?" I mean, I wasn't at Eton, but I, I, I find it interesting because he's not, he's not just an Eton thing. He's that that inspirational. Well, he he's, teacher. A, he's sort of everybody's idea of Mr. Chips, really, um, and 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 the, and and the extraordinary. Well, he's sort of everything, really. He's he's. He's he's Mr. Chips, um, Miss Jean Brody, yeah, um, the guy in Dead Poets Society. Um, you know, he's sort of he's and that awful Alan Bennett play. Yes, character and a very with, very yeah Hector and the History Boys very much so. 
and except that that, that was nothing remotely so was hom- pedophile. Yeah, there was nothing remotely homosexual about Michael Kidson, but um, he. Um, you know he but uh, but the the thing is he this was a real man uh, he lived and he's not and, and yet he was a large um, a larger than life character uh, a much bigger character really than any of these fictional characters um and um i think it, it, he the thing about him was uh that he was completely you know he was in the bastion of the establishment at eton yeah. but he himself was actually very anti-establishment i mean he um he ingrained in us uh, a deep distrust of authority uh yeah and would go out of his way to flout the school rules i mean you went round to get your essay marked by uh michael and uh, he would pour you uh, a whiskey so stiff that you were quite liable to fall off your bike yeah. on the way back to your Fantastic. house and uh uh he was i mean he was pretty uh eccentric really but he um we all learned to cherish eccentricity i think through uh being exposed to uh, his um, his his particular brand of it and of course and and actually the the other thing really is is um history um you know all of his pupils left there with a great <clears throat> love of history and interest in it because he really brought it to life in a way that would be inconceivable in classrooms today because they history has uh i think as it was david cameron i think who said to me that um you know he uh michael kidson gave him his great love of history and he, and he was determined when he got into government to stop the long march of the left through the history syllabus those were his exact oh, words okay. uh i have to say i don't didn't do that good a job, but I think he. I mean, I'm sure he. He hopefully did move the dial back in the right direction, but I don't. I think it's still it's still work in progress. I would say, um, and of course, coming back to Scotland, um, there's been a deliberate attempt. Well, it's been successful uh, to dislocate the Scottish people from their history. If you ask a young person about uh, history. Uh, Scotland is a colony of England. It's not, you know, it's not... Uh, a, not a union. It's not, you know, it wasn't the fact that a Scottish queen <laughs> wanted, wanted to bring the two her two kingdoms together in an act of union. Uh, it was, oh, it's, you know, well, Scotland was colonised. You know, you've seen Braveheart, you know, and, and uh, uh, the Enlightenment is not on the syllabus in any shape or form because it's a unionist concept uh and um we well we talked about it last night didn't we, we did this, this counter enlightenment but it but it but it's been assisted by uh fake history postmodernism. Um uh, gra- they've grabbed the history syllabus by by its throat and uh really changed it and and and, and, and you cannot argue I, I don't think now um <clears throat> unionists are very bad at um at preaching uh unionism from a historical perspective um but i think that's wrong and that's why we're we're now preaching unity not unionism unity is forward-looking and 
uh, inclusive unionism is backward looking and 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 quite alienating and and exclusive for quite a lot of people in Scotland who just don't feel part of that tradition at all right Catholics for example yeah yeah well I think we should go and have a whiskey now I think we should Jamie um, I, I just hope people listening I, I if you live in Scotland I think you should get behind Jamie I, I mean Scotland's Scotland I just think back to the the novels of of John Buchan and think what a fantastic place Scotland was then. It was it was confident in its identity, had fantastic people, but it wasn't ashamed of its of its it, its countryside and its sports like like stalking. I mean, John McNabb, all yeah, about yeah, that, the, yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and the history where we were never better than when we were together, and and now it's gone to shit. I'm sorry, it has. It, I I really fear for you for you Scots, and you are a Scot. Um, just the fact that you, you sound like an English posh boy doesn't mean you're not you're not Scottish. It's beaten out of me, my no. And I think um, I think the decent Scottish people, which is most of them, deserve better than than the the SNP. So yeah. good luck, yeah. really. Thanks, James. And I might get I might get I might get George on the podcast, even though we had a brief falling out of uh, on Twitter. But actually, I do think he's a he's on balance a good thing rather than a bad thing. So I think I think you've done well to get him on on board. Anyway, so good luck. Thanks, Jess. Okay. Um, this was The Delling Pod with me, James Delling Pod. You were listening to Jamie Blackett. Um, don't forget, um, I really appreciate your support on Patreon and Subscribestar. And you get early access to my podcast. You get you get to hang out with... I actually I actually respond to your to your comments on, uh, on, on Patreon and Subscribestar because I know, uh, you know you're special and I, and I value you. So thank you very much. Bye-bye.